It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Welcome to the Money Guy Show. I'm your host, Brian Preston, and sitting across from me is Mr. Bo Hansen. Um, Bo, this is going to be a unique show today. Yeah, what a, uh, first of all, what sort of a crazy week that we've seen, right, in the past week in the markets. Uh, and it's kind of perfect for what we have going on today, kind of setting the stage. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, people, I think we, we did a show not too long ago where we talked about market volatility is kind of like puppies, you know, and the fact that we all like puppies, but puppies, when you first bring them home, misbehave and might make um, duties or <laughs> TT on your, on your carpet, but you still love your puppy. It's kind of the same way with market volatility. So I think it's great. We actually have a guest on today's show. You guys know we don't do guests a lot. This is in, and, and the reason is, is that there's a lot of moving parts that have to occur with having a guest on. And then it's also, I like to choose guests that I think can bring a subject matter that's completely different. I mean, that, because I don't want to just have people come on here, push products and other things. I like to find people who are actually disruptive, who are, um, are do really doing good out there in the investment marketplace. And so when we were, you know, contacted and asked, hey, would you guys like to have John Stein on the show from Betterment? I looked at Bo and I was like, why not? Now, John, before I bring you on, I do want to tell people, it's so funny. We were talking to some of um, we, we had some financial journalists checking in with us on some other things, and we told them we were having John on the show. And they were, like, "Wait a minute, aren't you guys financial advisors? Why in the world would you have John on the show?" And I was like, "Well, you know, we're we're pretty confident in what we do, and the fact also I've watched John talk about the founding of Betterment, and I think we have a lot in common. I mean, I worked on the commission side when I first came out in the industry, and I had a lot of misgivings about the way advice was being given to people about how commissions were driving a lot of the equation. And I, that's one of the reasons the podcast was even founded. I felt like we had minimums at this firm, and I couldn't help everybody who was probably going out there to the sharks and to the snakes and everything else that I talk about in this industry. And I think Betterment and John is doing the exact same thing. They're trying to find a way to service people who probably aren't being serviced by the higher end of things. So, John, I want to bring you on and first welcome you to the Money Guy Show. Thank you. It's great to be here with you guys. Um, I also want to, you know, just because it's so interesting to me, uh, it's so I was watching, I have my daughter, I have a, John, I know you you have a family as well, but I was, I try to talk to my daughter about business and getting her to think about money because she's in the middle school, she's middle school age now. And we were sitting around watching, I know this sounds really ridiculous, we were watching Blue Collar Millionaire on CNBC because I'm trying to convince my daughter to, to think about what she enjoys in life between computers, math, and other things and how she can bring that into the fold of making money. And how brilliant is it while I'm sitting there watching this TV show with my, my daughter, there's a Betterment commercial. And, it's, and it kind of hit me, John, you've kind of figured out a way to, to bridge the gap between the financial world as well as the technology world. Because when I go to your website and look at everything, you guys have a lot of engineers on staff. Y'all are, and I think you've even said in interviews, you're definitely a technology company. Do you care elaborate on that? Yeah, they're half our company. Half of our employees are, are engineers. And I've always thought about us as engineering first. I think of myself as an engineer at heart who happened to end up in the financial services industry. And I saw a lot of problems that I could fix in, in this particular industry. I could have, I feel like I could have wound up in many industries, but this was the one uh, that I, that I, the card that I drew. 
Uh, and this is where I chose to, to make my career as, as a result. And, and I do have a, a family. I have a one-year-old, uh, a one-year-old daughter at home. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I sometimes say, uh, I can, I can relate to, to your feelings and, and, and thinkings, uh, uh, thinking about your own family. And I sometimes say about her that by the time she's 18, um, I don't know what she'll be, she'll be, you know, maybe she'll be going to school. I don't know what she'll want to become, but I can guarantee she's not going to have to worry about how much is she saving each month. She's not going to have to worry about what type of account should she open or which stock should she buy, because all of that stuff is just going to be automated for her. It, it's not going to be a thing that people have to think about anymore. Yeah, things are definitely the world is is changing, and that that's a great transition point for me to ask you the question that when I've done my research on looking into how you came up with the concept of betterment, I know you you tell the story of you know your first investment into Enron and other things like that. But talk to me about the journey. One of my my favorite things, and it probably ties into why I was watching Blue Collar Millionaire with my daughter, is that I love talking to entrepreneurs and finding out about the journey in making your company a bigger entity, a, a company that people have heard of and that is actually making an impact. Any unique things that happened on that journey that you, you know, some stories, anecdotal stories, or other things you can share us about that journey? Sure. It's been a long journey. I mean, I've been, been at this for almost a decade at, the, at this point. And, uh, you know, if I think back, I, I was consulting to banks back in the, in the mid 2000s and it was, it was heady days in the banking industry. I kind of wound up in uh, in finance uh, and and was there because it was a job because it was what people who graduated you know with an economics degree and moved to New York City did and uh, and it was uh, it was good money and I was able to you know talk to uh, interesting people and it was good work um, but uh, but I didn't get a lot of satisfaction out of it I, I used to tell friends who'd ask what I did, I, I helped banks make more money. And, uh, and I, you know, I knew I, you know, I would joke about it. I knew I didn't want to always be doing that. And I started to think about starting a business and, uh, and, and I had many different ideas for, for businesses and, uh, and, and all of them were bad, I'd say. And, you know, I just, uh, uh, kept talking to friends about, about, you know, what, what were their problems? What were the things that, 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 you know, that they needed fixed? And I saw one of the, the, you know, most glaring things to me was in my own life. As you mentioned, I had, you know, I'd invested in Enron. I did, I'd, I'd opened, you know, seven different brokerage accounts over the days. And I, I, I had a little bit of money and I was, I was making some good decisions, but I was making some bad decisions. And I thought, if anyone should know how to invest, it ought to be, me, I have, you know, I have a CFA. I've been working in the industry. People come to me and they trust me with how to manage their money. Why are these tools so bad? Why aren't there really obvious, great answers to the question? What should I do with my money? And there were some, I mean, there was investment advisors. You could go and get an investment advisor if you could afford one and maybe they'd help you answer that question. But for me and for many of my peers, you know, we didn't have enough money to afford that kind of advice. And, uh, and, and even an hourly advisor seemed like really, really expensive to me at, sure. at that time. And I just thought it's crazy that this doesn't exist. So started building it, um, got, you know, a couple people crazy enough to, to join me, uh, in, in the early days. And, uh, when we first launched at, uh, at TechCrunch Disrupt in 2010, we'd already been working on the business for, 
for, for, for a few years. It took years to get the regulatory approvals we needed. It took years to build the technology that we needed. We bootstrapped. It was we were super cheap. We you know we we st- we took furniture out of the dumpster to to, to, to furnish the office. <laughs> Part of the Taiwan Nation. <laughs> <laughs> so you know we built the most efficient broker dealer that I think has ever been built, and that's part of our culture today is that idea of efficiency because it's how we, it's how we grew up. Well, I, I wanted to ask because I mean one of the things I noticed when I was doing research for the show today is that it was unique to me is to go look at the timestamp of when articles were done. And then every time an article was drafted on Betterment and, and kind of your journey, John, they'd always list how many clients and then your assets under management. And I thought it was kind of, you know, chronicling the timeline that was being created there. It looked like you are somewhat evolving. And the fact that um, I noticed there's several deals that have been announced. And then I even saw in an article you said that you were following some of the benchmarks that have been set by Charles Schwab. Could Charles Schwab, you know, kind of revolutionized a lot of the investment industry when he he tried to go on his own, but then he realized, you know what, there's a great I could do this on the, also on the back of financial advisors. So Betterman has moved also into the institutional side. Can you talk about that evolution of Betterman as you're kind of picking up steam and trying to figure out where you can get those those area to pick up more assets? We saw from the early days, we started hearing from advisors, even at that first launch that I mentioned back at, at TechCrunch in 2010, advisors would come up to us and say, hey, I really like this platform. This is slick. Is this something that I could offer to my clients? Do you have an advisor version of this? And and we heard this more and more over the years. And sometimes, sometimes in the early days, people would think that we were, you know, somehow uh, anti-advisor, um, you know, uh, because uh, or that we were displacing advisors somehow. And I've never seen it that way. I've always seen that what we're doing is actually all of our clients come to us uh, because they're managing their money on their own. They're do-it-yourself investors. They're coming from Vanguard. They're coming from Fidelity. They're coming from Schwab. They're coming from E-Trade. And it's people who are just frustrated, uh, like I was. With how they're managing their money, they're you know it, it takes too much time. They're not sure they're actually taking advantage of all the opportunities that are out there. It's hard to manage your tax as well when you're doing all of this investing, and we can do all that for you for way cheaper and way way more efficiently than you can do it yourself. And and you know if you already have an advisor, you've got a relationship with that person. Maybe your kids play soccer together. Maybe you go to church together. You know it's something. You know somebody you know who's uh, who's, uh, who's 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 a, who's a part of your life. And I found it, I found almost none of our customers were coming to us from, from those types of relationships. So we've always seen it as, uh, as complementary to what advisors are doing. Advisors want great technology too. And so we launched Betterman Institutional to, near the beginning of the year. We announced a partnership with Fidelity. Uh, more recently, we just, uh, announced a partnership with uh, Transamerica. Uh, we've been getting some good traction uh, with, uh, with big advisory firms and small advisory firms, firms with, you know, uh, uh, 50 million to a billion dollars, you know, like smaller advisor shops are, are also using the institutional platform. And, and I guess this is ties into a degree because I, I want to talk about competitive advantage. You guys, I mean, we've always feel, felt very blessed on the podcasting side of things because we started this show back in 2006. So we were there in fertile ground. I mean, we, we got there, we put the flag in the ground pretty early, even before a lot of the big institutional podcast started coming and, and gobbling up real estate and being first helped out tremendously. And I feel like Betterment, when you talk about the automation of some of that investment advising side of things, 
you know, you guys are very, definitely hit the fertile ground. I mean, even when you talk about the concept of how you came up with the idea of betterment, but I got to tell you, John, there seems like there's a lot of copycats or replication and other things. How are you guys keeping yourself competitive and making sure you're staying ahead of the curve? Because I know I always, all entrepreneurs have a healthy fear that the carpets go get ripped out from underneath them. So how are you staying ahead of all that? There's a lot of noise. I suppose you're right. But I mean, it's important to realize that we're bigger than all the other so-called robo-advisors combined. We have more customers than everybody else combined by by you know several times. Um, we uh, we also uh, uh, I think just have a I mean I think the reason for that is that we just have a far superior product. Nobody has even close to the level of, of technology that we have or sophistication that we have. Um, there's uh, there are there are of course you know fast fast followers out there. But we're the only true, uh, you know, to use the term that, that is popular in the industry, robo-advisor that exists. We're the only firm that gives you automated advice about your investments and manages your money in your account for you. The only one. And so there's, there's lots of other things that sort of try to use that label because we've been so successful uh, and they want to associate themselves. But there's nothing else like, like Betterment. And, I mean, I, I guess I kind of... You've had people trying to do partnerships. You know, I knew about the Fidelity one. I knew that you've talked about some of the, the, the advisor networks that are out there, and you just mentioned the Transamerica. What is, I mean, kind of what's the game plan? I mean, how, if you could vision plan for the future, I mean, how much of it is retail business? How much of it's institutional? I mean, what, what really is the, the, the step in the process for betterment, John? What are you thinking about? You know, we can look at some of the companies that are out there. If you look at Schwab, it's you know it's maybe fifty or sixty percent of their business is institutional, uh, and, and forty to fifty is is retail. Uh, uh, if you look at Fidelity, maybe it's about a third of their business is institutional, and a third or more is uh, is four hundred one ks, and then and then the remainder is retail. You know, I, I'm probably getting these off by a bit, but. Uh, most of the big firms in our space, the legacy brokerage houses, are in each of these businesses. They're in uh, 401ks, they're in institutional sales, and they're in direct-to-retail sales. Uh, we've always looked at Betterment as the inheritor of the next, the, the sort of the next generation uh, custodian, the next generation money manager, and we're building it all on the smartest, latest technology. We're building it in a way. It's fundamentally better aligned with customers uh, and leverages all the things that we know today about the markets that these other firms didn't have, can't take advantage of because they were built in a different time when when you know money money worked in a different way. Everything was paper based. You know, trades took forever to settle. Um, there, 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 you know, you couldn't automate things. There, there weren't really uh, you know uh, computers when when a lot of these firms were, were first getting started, and so. Uh, we see ourselves as much like them, and we're going to have a diverse business just like they do. And I don't know if it's going to be a third of our business in the long term will be uh, institutional, and a third will be you know business sales, and a third will be retail. I know that they're all going to be important parts of our business. I think it's really interesting, John, that you shared about how you know all the names that you mentioned. They kind of have recognized that it is beneficial to have a diverse business, and it's beneficial to have. Um, sort of these synergies that exist amongst the retail side and the institutional side. 
But there are, you know, some firms out there that really have focused on and tried to really keep everything in-house. And the one that just comes to my mind that I think of right off the bat is Vanguard with some of the new services they're offering. Um, I don't know, uh, based on classification, if that would be considered a robo-advisory because they do want to have, you know, individuals on staff. But how does the service that like a Betterment offers, uh, like Betterment offers compared to something like what Vanguard is offering, or what are, are there different types of clients that make sense for each of those? Yeah, I mean, I think both you and I are, are big fans of Vanguard, and they do um, they do one thing really well, and that is create low cost index funds. They are a mutual fund company. Vogel started it as a mutual fund company. That's what popularized them. That's what they're really good at. They've got a lot of smart people working on that problem. They're not as good at, at other things. They're not very good at user experience. Um, they're not very good at, uh, at, at advice. Um, and, uh, and those are things that's not their core. Their, their, their core is not to be uh, an advisor. Uh, and so there's not that much advice there. And there's not that much, uh, there's no robo, right? There's no, right, right. There's no real technology there. Uh, and, so they have an offering, and I think what you're referring to is the, the Vanguard Personal Advisory Services, um, and, and I think it's 30 basis points, and you've got to have $50,000 to get into it, and I think that um, they give you some advice around how you might want to configure your, your, your account at Vanguard. But you're still all in Vanguard funds, right, because you're tied to them, and they're a manufacturer, and they want you to use their own funds. And so they're not a truly objective advisor in the way that Betterment is. Betterment is an advisor first. We don't manufacture funds. That's one of the fundamental differences about how we're set up versus how the legacy firms are set up. We can choose the best funds from all the providers. We can give you the best non-conflicted objective advice about where to put your money. And, uh, and we do invest in technology, starting from that place of advice and starting from that place of alignment with the customer. We provide holistic advice about what goals you should have, how much you should save for each of those goals, and then we tax manage it for you. We do all of this stuff that Vanguard doesn't do for you. And, and yet they charge more for it because they're not a technology company. They, you know, it's a human-based, paper-based process still, and that costs a lot of money for them to provide, and so they charge more for it than, than what we charge. Moving forward, John, do you think the biggest differentiator, I mean, if we fast forward 10 years from now, well, the biggest differentiator between companies that have been able to thrive and be successful and those that have kind of fallen by the wayside be the level of technology they've been able to implement. It seems like that's kind of a recurring theme that Betterment has done extremely well, and it sounds like it's something you guys are going to continue to try to improve upon going forward. Is that going to be sort of the barometer by which you measure success is the, the, the companies that are able to really harness technology to, uh, technology to, to make themselves better moving forward? I, I, I think that's huge. I think that's, that impacts, um, not just financial services, but many industries. And there's, there's some, you know, there's, I think the industry, sometimes people ask, like, you know, what, where does technology is, where is it needed most? And I think it's needed most in, in finance, in healthcare, and in education. And maybe to, to talk about one area where it's, if not an industry, it's needed in government. Um, <laughs> there's just, <laughs> agreed. More technology. Uh, to make processes better and more efficient for people. Uh, and we've come to expect it in retail and maybe in social media and, and general media. Um, you know, those, those have been improved quite a bit by technology and, and there's some more improving there to do for sure. 
But the big places today where it just has an obvious application and has been underinvested in are, are finance, education, healthcare. And in finance in particular, particular yes, those companies that, that adopt it um, early and, and integrate it fully into their businesses are, are going to be more successful. But I don't want to over geek out about the idea of technology. Technology is only useful insofar as it really benefits the customer. Sure. And I think the way that, that we apply it is, uh, is threefold. Um, we apply technology to have, to, to provide better service. Uh, and you may have seen, we were, we were recognized, I saw in the consumer reports survey, um, we were voted by their customers to have, uh, uh, the, the best service in, in the brokerage industry. Uh, which was a nice uh, accolade for Betterment. We were the only new company uh, listed in there as, as having the best service. And so, um, you know, uh, that's, that's huge. And that's thanks to, thanks to great technology that, that helps us to provide that service. Plus, we have people here seven days a week. It's just we're very efficient about answering the phones and emails and all those kinds of things. Um, a second area uh, is the experience. The user experience has to be great. And so we do everything faster, faster money movements, faster rollovers. Everything's easy and fast at Betterment. And that's an application of technology that benefits customers. And the third final one I'll talk about is advice. We have got this great advice. And the advice is at the core of the Betterment experience. It powers everything else you do. Kind of like search is at the core of the, the Google experience. You go there, you search for something, you get, you get what you need. Come to Betterment, our advice gives you what you need. I wanted to ask, you know, Bo kind of gave a teaser to it at the beginning of the show. We've had a unique week this week with just the crazy volatility. You know, China's freaking a lot of people out. There are rising interest rates that are coming down the marketplace. And I always tell people when they're asking about entering the financial field, I'm like, this is a great industry to be in 80% of the time because eight out of 10 years, financial markets are going to make you money. But, you know, one of the critiques you see out there on robo-advisors, John, is that, you know, there's that we're waiting for a big beta tests essentially of what happens when we have volatility in the marketplace. And on your, your website, I thought it was very unique on one of your blog posts. I think it was in response to the volatility that we've seen. I think you, there was a stat, and I wanted to get you a chance to, to talk about this because this is the thing I think other financial advisors who are tuning into the podcast would be curious to know about. I saw a stat that said 83% of your users didn't even open their accounts over the you know log in to look at their accounts even after the volatility that we had is it still that ca- that the case I want to give you a chance to talk about that still the case it was uh, uh, we saw only seventeen percent of our customers logged in o- over the weekend which was on par with a, a normal weekend for us that's the normal kind of level of activity that we see and I think that's because our customers are smart our customers are smart right. and busy and uh, and they know that uh, market ups and downs, volatility is a normal, expected, unavoidable part of investing. The reason you get paid extra for putting money into into stocks is because you're willing to take that volatility in the short term in, in order to hopefully have a longer, re- higher return in, in, in the long term. Uh, and our advice is, is straightforward. We say, we, we say, what's the term of your goal? Are you investing for something next year? Are you investing for retirement in 30 years? Or, you know, are you just building wealth that you want to transfer to the next generation in a very long term? Based on that time horizon, we can then recommend a portfolio for you that makes sense. If you, uh, if you are, if you give us good information, if you say, you know, this is a 10 year portfolio, we'll invest you in a portfolio that makes sense for 10 years. 
And so if you've got 10 years, you can, you know, a 25% drop is nothing, right? Uh, you're you're going to expect uh, uh, several of those over, over a 10-year period. Uh, and, uh, and I think our customers understand all of that. They understand that the time horizon is, is key. And they don't have to worry about the short-term ups and downs so much. Is that also, I mean, I, I was curious just because, I mean, you really do, whenever you're trying to find criticism of your industry, they do talk about, and, and I don't know if it's people trying to, to, to justify themselves or what, but they do talk about what happens during volatile times if we hit another 2008. Do you find, do you think also the indicator that only 17% will log in, does it have to do with the age of your clients? I mean, are your clients, do you find that they're scaling down on, on the age? Is this a newer thing or do you have older clients as well? We have uh, we have customers just across the board. So we've got customers who are 96, and we've got customers who are 18, and we've got customers with 10 million dollars with us, and we've got customers who are just starting out. I think if you uh, if you look at the average age of our customers, it's about 36, uh, which uh, uh, is is a little bit younger than the average for a brokerage firm. Sure, but we also see. Thirty uh, percent of our assets come from customers who are fifty plus. Uh, there, there are a lot of older customers on on the platform too, and we've got tools specifically for them. We've got things like retire guide and retirement income that are uh, that are loved by those those older customers who are saving for for retirement or, or or are already in retirement. One one question I have, and this is this is just because sort of being an entrepreneur, living in that world, one thing that we always try to think about are what are the biggest risks that exist for us? It sounds like for, for Betterment and the way you guys are structured and the way that the even the software works, volatility isn't really a risk. And it sounds like you guys are so far um, are so far ahead of the curve on the technology side that it's not really a competition risk. What is the biggest risk to Betterment over the next 10 years? Is it is it regulatory changes? Is it the way you're allowed to do business? Are there things that are sort of on the on the horizon that have you concerned about how you're able to continue advancing this movement? Interestingly, the the regulatory changes is maybe an advantage. Um, you know, there there's a lot of interest in Washington now uh, in uh, promoting uh, real fiduciary advice. Mm-hmm. You maybe have heard a little bit about the sure. Department of Labor saying. You know, maybe advisors to 401ks should have to be fiduciaries. Sure. And we support that. I mean, that's that seems right to us that you want somebody who has to act in their client's best interest being the one giving the advice. Uh, and I think what, uh, uh, what, what we show is that you can do that at a cost-effective rate. You can be aligned with your customer, give good advice, and still, still do that cost-effectively. And, uh, and so... That there's there's actually some interesting kind of regulatory momentum behind the idea of advisors being more central to financial services. Sure. And I could imagine. I mean, I you know I don't want to um, look too far out, but I could imagine in the future if you could buy your financial services from a uh, a bank or a broker of some sort or an advisor. You should always want to go to the advisor for for for, for the financial services because they have to put your interests first. Right. And so uh, that's a good place to go for for advice and and to buy those financial services. So I kind of see us becoming more more central. When I think about risks to our business, uh, and and uh, there are there are some. I I think most the thing that keeps me up most at night 
is can we hire enough of the right kind of people? It's actually just, you know, it's a competitive market. People are our most valuable assets. Um, we uh, uh, we're always, you know, look, we're in a we're in a constant competition for talent. We've been very lucky so far to get some great folks. We have an amazing team. Uh, but I, I I spend more of my time worrying about that than, than anything else right now. Well, John, we really appreciate you coming on the show. One of the things I think it's so interesting is that to a large degree, this whole conversation about robo-advisors, you guys have been made the big boogeyman of financial advisors. You even alluded to it earlier that, um, you know, so you see, and maybe it's just the financial publications. They got to have some content to, to put out there. Um, so they, it's, it's probably a big seller when they can publish this. Cause like I said, all entrepreneurs have fear that the rugs could be ripped out from underneath them. So you hear about a computer and everybody's watched enough Terminator movies that I think that people start thinking that, you know, that stuff could happen. But I always remind people, and, and I think you were kind of alluding to this also, John, is that really service your people. That is the central mark of how you're going to get your advice. And if it doesn't matter if you're talking about, a robo-advisor like Betterment who's taking even the service and the interface better, or if you're even talking about a traditional financial advisor. I mean, as we've talked about it. We're also fee-only advisors. We've been members of NAPFA for years. And I always think, and I, I, I haven't been bold enough to say it because it was one of those secrets that I didn't hope, I hope the industry didn't realize. I think you guys are the boogeyman, but what really most advisors should truly worry about is also advisors that can work virtually. Um, I think that that is a big thing I have found with my own firm since we started this podcast in 2006. Something happened in the psyche of individuals out there around 2011, where it's probably very similar to online dating. The stigma of working with people across geographic boundaries changed. And that's why we've been able to grow to 27 states. And I think at the end of the day, if you're an advisor, you better make sure that you're doing a good job of managing your clients, making sure they're happy. And then, you know, that's the part that's going to keep people working with you and then being very client center focused. And I think that's what I kept hearing from everything you shared with us, John. And I want to thank you for joining us today because this was an honor. Like I said, you know, it's not often I get to, to watch a, you know, watching CNBC and um, a guy I see up on the TV also comes on the Money Guy show. So we appreciate you taking that with us. Um, let me tell the closest thing out with our listeners. If you want to go check us out, it's money-guy.com. Um, you can also write the show directly. You can write me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com. Or you can write Mr. Bo Hansen, B-O, at money-guy.com. John, if they want to know more about Betterment, if they want to know more about you, where should they go? Come to betterment.com. You can read way too much about me and, and our, our company. There's, there's a lot of content there about us. Well, John, thank you so much. And guys, we'll talk to you in about two weeks. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. And Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.